I first started running about 15 years ago as a way to quit smoking. Back then, my running clothes were very Rocky Balboa, so sweatpants, sweatshirt. Anyone who goes hiking or trail running knows that it's a lot easier and a lot more fun when you're wearing the right gear. Jonji makes performance apparel that'll take you farther on your runs and hikes. They have this merino wool hoodie that I wore on multiple trail runs this weekend. It's soft, it's warm, and most importantly, it does not get stinky when you get stinky. Another reason to love Jonji is that they donate 2% of all sales towards clean water projects, raising nearly $1 million so far. Head to Jonji.com to find your new favorite trail wear, outdoors accessories, and essentials. And use the code OUTSIDE for 10% off at Jonji.com. That's J-A-N-J-I.com with the code OUTSIDE for 10% off. When I was a little kid, my whole family, grandparents included, packed into a Dodge Caravan and went on a two-week road trip to Wyoming. We saw the rodeo in Cody, a grizzly bear in Yellowstone National Park, and an epic thunderstorm near Devil's Tower. On that trip, I fell in love with the West and the natural world. This might sound cheesy, but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. When I found out I was going to be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's betterhelp.com. This is Outside In, a show about the natural world and how we use it. I'm Sam Evans-Brown. So a couple of weeks ago, producer Taylor Quimby brought us an episode about death, specifically about this movement called Green or Natural Burial. This is a follow-up episode. So if you haven't heard the original story yet, I suggest you go back and listen. But just in case you refuse to go back and listen, here's a 30-second version. Previously on Outside In. I'm not obsessed with death. This is Ryan Lassard. When he dies, he wants to become a tree. You know, it's kind of greedy to keep my body in a box. It's part of a thing called Green Burial, a movement that rejects big, heavy caskets and formaldehyde-based embalming in favor of a simpler, less resource-heavy burial. It shouldn't cost thousands of dollars to die. But having a green burial can be complicated because the laws around death and funerals are confusing. Most people don't know that green burial is available. And even though Ryan wants to do green burial, it turns out he hasn't really planned things out yet. We're both pretty young and healthy. Nobody plans to die. Don't jinx it. (laughs) The end. Cue the credits. So, the person who brought us the green burial story in the first place is a woman named Kelsey Erickson. Because I feel like in my own head, I sound like Fran Drescher, so... Kelsey runs a podcast called Deathcast, and when she was younger, she used to transport dead bodies for a living. The first time I ever went to do a transporting job, I accidentally dropped the body on the floor, and uh, the back of her head kind of split open a bit, and then blood started pouring out of her brain. So that was scary. <laughs> Unlike Ryan, Kelsey has her death all planned out. 
as meticulously as you might plan a wedding. Oh, yeah. I have a plan for everything. I am doing direct cremation and then scatter. But I have an advance directive. I have wills. I have a whole, basically a whole sheet or like a binder of like, if I die, do all of this stuff. I always carry empty copies of advanced directives with me. and Wait, try do you to... have one right now? I don't have one in my okay. bag right now, but it's in my car. Okay. I thought if I brought them with me, it would be like ultra creepy. So I didn't want to like, I needed to gauge like my creepiness. At any... Now, scattering your ashes, that's an option you've probably heard of. But it turns out there's this whole subculture of unique post-life experiences out there. Stuff you only learn about if you're talking to someone like Kelsey. My husband still is up in the air. He doesn't know of whether he wants to be put in a memorial reef, um, which is something where they take your cremated ashes and they put it in like this concrete slurry and then they take this like giant column almost of other people's ashes of loved ones and they put it inside a barrier reef. He also, you know, he doesn't know if he wants to do that or like be pressed into a diamond and kept in the family that way. Cremation, coral reefs, diamond ashes. The more you talk to a person like Kelsey, the more you realize, I am not informed. I have not done my death homework. I don't have my 401k planned right now at my new job, but like if I die the next day, I got all that paperwork there. Nobody needs to do nothing. (laughs) So today, a bonus follow-up episode to our green burial story where we ask all sorts of weird death questions that we didn't get to ask the first time around. So, Taylor, what are we doing here? Uh, Yeah, I I think this is just um, one of those cases where we had this idea about doing a green burial story, and there were so many interesting questions that we were talking about as a group. Um, But as I worked on the story, it also became about this evolution of a movement and not so much about the nuts and bolts of green burial or, frankly, all sorts of other weird legal and cultural questions about burial and about death. So, you know, we thought... Let's do a follow-up and answer those ones. And so that's what you're going to hear today. You're going to hear a big group Q&A between me, the rest of the Outside In team, and our guest, Lee Webster, Education Coordinator for the Green Burial Council and Director of the New Hampshire Funeral Advocacy Group. I can't guarantee that all these questions will help you with your death homework, but it may just inspire you to start asking some questions of your own. Okay. First question comes from me, and it's a really important one. If someone dies who's close to me, can I build a giant Viking funeral pyre in our backyard and dispose of the body that way? Oh, one of my favorite questions. No. (laughs) No? (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So many people want to do this, and so many people have different uh, visions of what Viking funerals really were. And uh, to do it the way that you're envisioning is is probably going to draw the attention of a government agency because of our anti-desecration laws. Oh, wow. Okay, hang on, hang on. So two things that I want to dig into there. What was the way that the Vikings actually disposed of their bodies? <laughs> they really didn't do a lot of flaming arrows out into the sea. You know, oh. they, they were land barriers, too. That's super disappointing. Uh, it, it is. Um, I mean, it looked really good when Sean Connery went across the water, man, but that's not necessarily what really happened. But then anti-desecration laws? What? what are, yes. This is essentially the set of laws that we adhere to um, in the United States that make sure that people don't dispose of bodies without the proper authorities knowing what happened to it and where it's going to end up. 
So, uh, and it also ensures that people are buried or are disposed of um, with dignity. So there's just this whole set of really stodgy, boring laws that tells you you can what you can and can't do. And one of them is to, you know, just sort of leave bodies out on the street. Um, this is Molly Donahue. I'm a producer for Outside In. And what you were just talking about ties into the question I had, which is, you know, we hear a lot about home burials with this story and home funerals. But who are there authorities that come and check and make sure that like this body you're burying on your property isn't somebody you've just murdered? This is one of my absolute favorite questions. <laughs> um, it, it, no, there are no funeral police. Oh, no. Isn't that great? You know, people are always asking me this, and they always bring up the, the second question usually is, uh, can I take a body across state lines? Mm-hmm. And I asked them when the last time was that they went to Vermont and somebody stopped them at the border to check their trunk for a dead body. And uh, But that doesn't mean that there aren't checks uh, that are in place so that, no, you're not going to be uh, finding bodies and sort of dumping them on your property. Um, there is a process, and however much uh, family chooses to, to deal with a loved one who's dying or has died, uh, in New Hampshire we're really fortunate because we can take care of that all by ourselves. We don't have to hire anyone to help. Um, but there are, you know, there are forms we have to fill out. We have to complete death certificates. We have to get transport permits and that type of thing. And if we're going to bury on our own property, we're going to uh, file that burial permit, essentially, with the town clerk. So there are little steps all along the way that ensure that we, we uh, inform the state about what that person died of. So we're keeping all of our, our health statistics in place. And we're making sure that that person, again, is buried or cremated uh, with dignity. I'm uh, Logan Shannon. I'm one of the producers on Outside In. So my question is actually about cremation. Sure. And what happens after cremation? Are there regulations about where you can choose to scatter the ashes of a loved one uh, can you take them to the mountain and, and put a little on a trail that they like to hike on? Or can you drop some in the ocean or a lake? Like, are there regulations about that? No, it's a full go. Um, I mean, other than the beach. Uh, they oh. don't really want you scattering on the beach. So please don't go to the beach and, and drop. Because one of the things you need to understand, people don't understand, they call them ashes, but they're really not. They're pulverized bone. And they aren't often pulverized all the way. And it's pretty easy to tell what it is. So you don't want to find it with your two-year-old on the beach. Beach. These remains are, are essentially uh, boiled down to their base element, right? So, so what it is is uh, calcium phosphate and sodium. And that means that it can go into water. It's not a big deal. Sodium is water-soluble. Calcium is not a big deal either. You, you can go right along the trail. And, and uh, there are no real hard and fast rules with state or national parks. For instance, they have paperwork, but you know, you know how they are. They really don't want you to fill it yeah. out. So, um, so they're very happy. Go ahead, as you know, just make sure that you're discreet and there's not a you know 50 Girl Scouts coming behind you, little brownie Scouts on their first trek. But here's the biggest thing I'm concerned about with cremains um, in, or, or cremated remains, as the industry would prefer you call them, is that they that sodium that's in them, they're very very heavy because it's dense bone and the and the salt. And if you scatter those at higher altitudes, if you scatter them anywhere on top of uh, a fragile foliage, 
you're killing it. So this idea, you know, this idea that people have always had about planting it uh, a rose bush, right? And and, well, good luck with that, because the roots all are going to grow as far away from sodium as they possibly can. Uh What we're finding in national parks is, particularly out west, is that people are finding, you know, they want to take their loved one to a place that has meaning to them. So they go to Zion or, or, or someplace like that, and they dump all this stuff right on top of this very fragile vegetation. Uh, so what about if we want to leave a body on the roof for the vultures to eat it? Again, anti-desecration. Then there's the issue of what vultures are you planning to, to uh, enlist for this job? Um, I don't know about you, but here in New Hampshire, I don't see a lot. And uh, even those in Tibet um, where, where sky burial is, is a thing, was a thing. It's not a thing anymore because the vultures there have been dying off through disease from this practice because the people who have been dying more recently are pumped full of all kinds of drugs Hmm. and they're killing the vultures that would then have helped. So bad for the vultures. So it's very bad for the vultures, bad for the birds, and it's pretty inefficient and very messy and Illegal. <laughs> so, so no on that one. People are always asking me, oh, I just want to die on my, on my own land. I just want to, you know, have somebody just drag me out to the woods and let all the wild animals take care of me. And um, it's always fascinating to me because I'm thinking what, that, what their face would look like if somebody else in the neighborhood did that and their dog went out and brought home some kind of a juicy joint. Um, I, I just can't imagine what people are thinking. <laughs> I don't think they are thinking. What's the What's the most... I don't I don't I don't know how to put this. Like what's the most natural way to be disposed of after you die? Like what's the the most uh efficient, I guess, efficient sounds kind of cold, but a way to really um after you pass away to return to the earth. What's the best way? Yeah, absolute best way both um chemically and spiritually is is through burial. And what we found with, you know, what we're calling green burial now, which is really just burial, uh, the bodies themselves, even now with all the heavy metals that we, we are accumulating now that we didn't before, soil with the right temperatures and the right humidity and so on creates the perfect environment at about three and a half to four feet where all those lovely little microbes and all that active insect population. I mean, the, the insects at that level are, are, are often named Things like coffin bugs, okay? We have names for them because that's where the action is. See, I've always I've always really felt that I didn't want to be buried because I didn't want to take up space. Like I, I always feel when I go to cemeteries that I'm always kind of bummed out that you're, people aren't playing, like there's no activity happening there. It's just I always felt like it would be neat if all the gravestones were sort of in a perimeter so that everyone could play on the green space in the middle. And I always thought, well, I'd rather be cremated because I'm just not going to take up a bunch of space. Yeah, and you've really come to the root of it as far as I'm concerned. It's amazing to me um, in one way and and not in another. Americans are very individualistic, right? And we all have this um, sense of entitlement about certain things. And one of them seems to be that we think we have the right to own a piece of property on the planet forever in perpetuity, even after we're gone. And what that's creating, of course, is is, is these, you know, parking lots for concrete – Um, and Chinese steel and rainforest woods and so on that isn't ever going to be used for any other purpose. 
And the point of green burial, certainly you could have recreational areas, you can continue to do um, sustainable uh, agriculture, all kinds of life-affirming activities that go on above ground. What we've found, we've done studies, and, and we found that the reason that more people come to green burial cemeteries, they don't come to put flowers on a grave in May. They come to bird watch. That's their favorite thing. They come to hike. They cross-country ski. They have picnics. They do all the things that people used to do before we went to this lawn cemetery model, which is relatively new. Here's what's happening in our communities, and I can give you the example. I live in Plymouth, and we're on our 14th cemetery. So we keep filling them up, and then we have to go look for new land. Well, what does that mean when you live, like I do, in the Lakes region, and property values are skyrocketing, and the town, because the state mandates it, has to provide that burial space? For a one use only each time, green burial means, if we can give up this personal idea, green burial means that we can uh, reuse space. We don't have to lay people out like cordwood. Lee Webster, thanks for coming in. Thanks very much for having me. Did you have something else you wanted to I ask? I did, actually, Lee. Okay. Go. Now, this is this is aside. How pointless are mausoleums? Oh, God. <laughs> Just don't get me started on this one. So, Taylor, what'd you think? Uh, I thought, I mean, she's so fascinating. Uh, But between the first story where I talked to like some representatives from the death industry and this where we hear from, you know, green burial advocates, you know, it seems like there's this sort of disagreement. I don't think there is actually that much of a disagreement. It's kind of like there's this disagreement over the idea of what's easy and what's convenient. Right. So so it's easy because all you have to do is, you know, you have to seek out a place where you can do this. You just, like, get your own license or, or whatever. Yeah, you just got to do a home funeral. Like, boom, right there. A lot of people don't want to do a home funeral. Like, they, they haven't gotten over the whole taking care of a dead body yourself feels icky thing. There's like 100,000 things that this is true of, though, don't you think? Yeah. You know, I mean, I had a worm compost <laughs> for a brief period of time. And, you know, it wasn't hard, but it also wasn't as easy as, like, just throwing stuff into a bin and then, like, chucking it in the woods, which is eventually <laughs> what I decided to do. And I got rid of my worms. I think about this all the time with, with like, like, I maintain my own bikes. Like, I fix bikes when they're broken. Sure. And, and it's always sort of like, why doesn't everyone do this? Why doesn't everyone just, like buy a bunch of tools, and then learn how to maintain their bike, then they'll save a ton of money. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I think it's true to whatever, like, you're most passionate about. The things that you love, it's very easy to invest more time and energy into them. Death is just this really weird space that, you know, it does matter to us all, but because it doesn't matter to us at the right time, it makes some of these questions a little harder. You know that old, that old saw about death and taxes? Well, this was making me think about taxes because taxes are something that you can do yourself or you can pay somebody to do for you. But the difference is that there's a clear deadline every year. And when you're talking about prepping for your death and your burial, the deadline is very hazy. Taxes also have the benefit of being something that you can do more than once and, like, get the hang of. (laughs) That's very true.
This mini episode was produced by Taylor Quimby and by me, Sam Evans-Brown, with help from Maureen McMurray, Logan Shannon, Molly Donahue, and Jimmy Gutierrez. Again, special thanks to all the folks we've spoken to for these two Green Burial stories and to our guest today, Lee Webster. We've posted a whole bunch of different resources online at outsideinradio.org. Our theme is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Additional music this episode from Poddington Bear and Blue Dot Sessions. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. Thank you.